All right, so we have made it, people. We have come to the end of our 2020 vision for the year 2020 sermon series. That's a mouthful right there. Today is the last uh, message in this series. And our focus during this series has been on finding that place of passion and concern in our life that we can call a vision or a calling or a purpose or a plan from God for our lives. It could be something personal in your own life. You want to fix your finances. You want to fix your marriage. You want to be a better parent. You want to stop shopping. You want to um, be in recovery uh, for a substance abuse and work that plan. Whatever your passion, your calling is, or it could be something even deeper that the Lord is calling you to a ministry. Whatever that calling is on your life, we've been trying to bring that into focus. What is it, Lord, that you have for me? Soren Kierkegaard wrote, What I really lack is to be clear in my mind what I am to do, not what I am to know. The thing is to understand myself, to see what God really wishes me to do, to find the idea for which I can live and die. As we've explored the book of Nehemiah, my question for you is, have you found that passion? Have you found that area of concern in your life or in the world? that idea in which you can live and die for. I want you to get that vision clearly in your mind because this morning is going to be a commitment service. Oh, yes. This is where the rubber meets the road because it is great to talk about vision. It is wonderful to study about vision, to pray about vision, but there comes a time when we have to commit to the vision and we have to do what God has called us to do. There's a time when we have to take an honest look at the sacrifices that need to be made in our life in order to live out that vision. There comes a time where we need to look at the risk and the earthly things that we may be called to give up as we pursue the great thing which God has for us to do. Not the good thing, because we all do a lot of good things, right? But the great thing that God has called us to do, where we will say, I will not be deterred. I will not come down from the wall. So this morning is where we're going to commit to paying the price to see God's vision for our lives come to fruition. One of the craziest things that I have ever done in my life was bungee jump. It wasn't your typical tie the rope around your feet. It was a harness bungee jump where I myself had to pull a ripcord and then it just shot me and I was bouncing all over the place. I think I was there. Uh, no. That's, no, you went zip lining. This is not a zip line. This is actually a bungee. Um, and uh, it's a free fall. And then you bounce up and down for a very long time. No, that's not me, but that's exactly what I did right there. Yeah. It was the craziest thing that I have ever done. And the moment that I bungee jumped, I was absolutely hooked. I'm telling you, I was hooked on never, ever bungee jumping again. It was terrible. It was terrifying. But I will say this. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad that I had the experience. And I'm glad that I pulled the ripcord or took the leap. The thing about bungee jumping is there's no, I sort of bungee jumped today. You either bungee jumped or you didn't. You either pulled that ripcord or you didn't. You either jumped off the ledge or you didn't. That's how it is with fulfilling a vision. David didn't sort of kill Goliath. He didn't sort of challenge and kill him. 
Peter didn't sort of get out of the boat and walk on water for a bit. Noah didn't sort of build an ark, and Moses didn't sort of lead the people out of Egypt. And Nehemiah didn't sort of rally the people and get the wall built around Jerusalem. Nehemiah took a leap and followed the vision that God had put on his heart, and amazing things happened. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah. We've only in this series read Nehemiah chapter 1 through Nehemiah chapter 6, because that is the focus of rebuilding the wall. Chapter 7 is, a, a, is where it pivots, the wall is built, and then Nehemiah goes about repopulating the city. And then chapters 8 through 13 are what happens when the city is repopulated. So we've only been focusing on the first six chapters. I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, and I want to read to you verses 17 and 18. Because this is shortly after Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem. He's ridden around the walls, the the walls that are in in ruin and laying in rubble around the city. And he rallies the people together. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Another version or translation says, so they put their hands to the good work. In other words, they committed to the vision that Nehemiah had put before them. It's easy for us to read a story like this and take one of two approaches. The first approach is that we simply don't consider the human elements in the story. We don't consider what was happening in the lives of the people who are in the story. We never think about the people who are building the wall. For example, did any of them have small children? And what did they do with those children while they were working? And what happened when mom and dad were rebuilding the wall and little Johnny's diaper needed changing? And what happened when mom and dad were building the wall and little Georgie Porgy and little Maddie Sork got into a fight. I had to pick on him because he's here today. George was here last night. He appreciated it. Yeah. What happened then? We never even think about the lives of the people who were pursuing the vision and doing the work of building that wall. They were real people with real everyday circumstances and situations and problems just like us. Think about the life change just for Nehemiah. He wasn't getting criticized and taunted by Sambalat and Tobiah back in the palace. He didn't have to guard himself against death day and night. He didn't have to deal with the grumblers and the complainers and all the opposition and all the attacks that came his way. He had a very sweet life in the palace. But when we read a story like this today in the year 2020, we rarely consider the human elements in the story, what they were going through. So let me share some of them with you this morning. Let me help you consider the human elements of this story. Because I think you'll see that the price they had to pay in order to buy into the vision and fulfill the vision um, isn't all that different from the sacrifices and the price that we have to pay today. Nehemiah 5, if you want to go forward to Nehemiah 5, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous, 
In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So they were quite far into the building project at this point. The work was progressing. But then the reality of the price of the vision set in. And the people began to protest. And one of the first things that they asked Nehemiah is, what about our survival? You may be called to do something in your life that requires life change. And you may be worried, what about my survival? How am I going to survive this? If I make this change in my life, am I going to survive it? And it seems like a legitimate question, right? Yeah? Thank you, Angelique. (laughs) Have you ever stopped to think about what these people were doing before Nehemiah approached them with this vision? Think about it for a second. Do you think they were just sitting around in the rubble playing Scrabble all day? They weren't. They were working. They were making a living for their family. Maybe farming. Some of them had vineyards. They were cloth makers. Whatever it was, they were doing something that enabled them to provide and feed their families. But following the vision for building this wall was like bungee jumping for them. They had to put all of that aside and day in, all day long work on rebuilding this wall. If I said to you, I need you to take the next two months and come and work at the church 12 hours a day doing hard physical labor um, without getting paid from me, and then you can go back to your everyday lives, what would you say? Right? Got coffee? <laughs> you would say, how am I going to survive that? I, I got, I, if I can't work, how am I going to make money to survive? So it required jumping in with both feet. And as time passed and the difficulties of fulfilling the vision started to become more clear to them, people started to get concerned about how they were going to survive how they were going to care for their families. And some of you may have a pretty good idea of what the people of Jerusalem were experiencing. Some of you may be asking God the same question. Lord, I've made a change, and and if you want me to do what you're asking me to do, how how are you going to get me through this? How am I going to survive this? But remember, the how isn't a problem for God, right? It's his problem, and it's not a problem for him. Look at verse 3. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. So not only did they ask about their survival, they said, how much more do we have to give? We've already given a lot. How much more? I mean, we've taken the time off work. Now we're having to mortgage our homes and sell our children. I mean, what, what, what more do you want from us? Literally sell their children. You know, it was bad enough that they were trying to balance work, working on the wall, caring for their families. But to top, top it all off, there was a famine going on in the land. Now, if you've ever looked at God or uh, talked to God and said, why now? On top of everything else that's happening in my life, why now, Lord? Why this? Then you have an idea of what these people were going through. You have an idea of how the people of Jerusalem felt about this famine. One of the ways that the enemy attacks me is with my health. Even as a little girl, I had health issues, migraines and back problems, all different kinds of things. Um, If there was a cold that was going around, I was going to get it. Um, But once I accepted the calling in my life and became a minister, those, those attacks on my health intensified. 
And let me tell you, if any of you have a cold here today, I guarantee you I will embrace it with open arms, right? Um, When John and I said our vows, uh, we paused it in sickness and health because he knew that I get sick a lot. I I just do. I get sick a lot. Well, a few years back, I don't know, about five years ago, I fell down the stairs at at my house. I threw my back out, but at the time, I didn't realize I had um, busted a disc in my neck. And I was in so much pain from other areas in my body from falling, I didn't even notice that. Well, after that, I started having shoulder, my arm was going numb, and I went to the doctor, and she was sent me to physical therapy, and it didn't do anything. She gave me some steroid shots, and that helped for a little bit, but then it went away, and it didn't help. And so about a year of trying to figure out what it was, um, she said, well, you know what? Do you have neck pain? And I said, yeah, I always have, I've always had neck pain. And she said, well, we always go to the highest point, so um, let's do an x-ray of your neck. She did an x-ray, didn't see anything. So after um, a few years of, of trying to figure out what it was, after uh, numerous tests, x-rays, physical therapy, doctor's appointments, ultrasounds, and MRIs, we finally found out that I had a bulging disc that was compressing my spinal cord. And she said, you have to have surgery. So she sent me to a surgeon. I thought, thank you, Lord, finally. Um, the pain was unbearable, by the way. Um, it, it was so unbearable that I was only working three or four hours a day. Um, people didn't like me anymore. Um, <laughs> my family um, was happy that I had to leave work early and go home by myself. Um, I was in pain. And um, I was not taking any pain medicine for it other than Tylenol and ibuprofen. And um, I just kept serving the Lord, and I just kept saying, Lord, you got to do something about this. So I went to the surgeon, and the surgeon said, I can't do a thing for you. Um, you're numb in, in the wrong fingers. If you, if you had a bulging disc in your neck or a, a ruptured disc, you would have numbness in this finger right here. So he sent me away. So another year, and the, the pain became more extreme, and I had no feeling in my arm anymore. I wasn't sleeping. I was just miserable. People, you have no idea how miserable I was. So after a year of this, my doctor said, I'm sending you to a different surgeon because I think you need to have surgery. I went to the, a surgeon again. There was no change in my MRI, and he said, you have got to get into surgery now. So sent me into surgery removed the bulge and replaced, fused the disc and all of that, sent me home and I I started feeling better. And for the first time in probably five years, I I was pain-free. Of course, they had given me some good drugs. (laughs) Hallelujah! But I was was feeling better. And I was thankful and I said, thank you, Lord. And then winter set in and the arthritis that was inflamed in my neck from the surgery flared up and I was in so much pain again that I thought the surgery had failed. But then the weather started getting warmer and I got better and then my lower back went out. And then I started to get better from that and I got the worst flu I have ever had in my life. And then I got better and then Uncle Bill and Aunt Sue quit the church. I would rather go through the pain of that neck than have that happen. And finally, I began to ask myself, when is God going to let up? 
I'm pursuing his vision for my life. I'm serving him. How much more is this going to cost me? And I know that some of you can relate to what I was going through and what the people rebuilding that wall were going through. How much more is this going to cost me? Some of you have a very clear vision of what God is calling you to do, but you are so scared to do it because you aren't sure how much it's going to cost you. And you're worried that it may be more than you can handle. But there's a quote that says, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. Look at verses 4 and 5. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So they've had to mortgage their land. Their taxes are higher than, um, than the same type of people around them. And they were saying to to Nehemiah, we can't afford to work on the wall. We can't afford to feed our families. We've mortgaged our homes. We've mortgaged our land. And we are unable to live. And then a third group jumps in and says, is this fair? Is this fair that we have to live like this just for serving the Lord by rebuilding the wall? Some of them were pointing out to Nehemiah that they had to pay a higher price than the other people around them. They had, had to sacrifice more. They had to endure more. They had to overcome more. And it just didn't seem fair to them. And the reality is, you've heard me say it before, life isn't fair. Just because we are living out our God-given vision doesn't mean that we are exempt from life's unfairness. As the vision um, for our life rolls out, we may begin to ask, Lord, it's not fair. Why are you doing this to me? I'm serving you. It's just not fair. There are other people out there who have more than I do. They have nice homes. They have nice cars. They seem to be happy all the time. Why am I struggling with depression? Why am I struggling with addiction? Why am I struggling with my finances? Poor Nehemiah had people that were feeling left out. They were feeling overlooked and mistreated. And he had some people who were not happy campers on his hands. As you pursue the vision God has placed on your heart, you might feel the same way. Others around you may seem to be getting off easy. But visions don't come to reality, into reality until somebody takes a leap of faith. Until somebody is willing to make a sacrifice. So launching a vision always involves committing wholeheartedly to what could be. Did you hear that? To what could be, right? Not what is, not what was, but what could be. There's always a risk. There's always a sacrifice. When I bungee jumped, I had to have faith when I pulled that cord that the cord wasn't too long, right? That the cord would hold my weight, that the harness wouldn't rip or I wouldn't slip out of the harness, and that I would survive that leap. The reality is people who don't take the leap and follow their God-given vision spend the rest of their lives wondering, what if? What if I pulled the cord? What if I took the leap? 
Well, I said back at the beginning that we take two approaches to this story. Uh, first, we, we don't consider the human elements, but there were people just like us. And the second approach we take is to assume that they didn't have a choice, that God just supernaturally made them do it, right? In order to fulfill the will of God, God just purposed it in their heart. That's one of the challenges of reading the Bible. We know how the story ends. We know that the people rallied and they built the wall, and we just assume uh, there was no choice that was made. But I'm here to tell you that every single one of those people had a choice. Some of people chose not to help, and their names are not recorded in the book as helping. But some people chose to help. Don't assume that they didn't have a choice And you have a choice, too. You do not have to pursue the vision that God has for your life. You don't have to. If God's put a a purpose or a vision or a calling in your life, you don't have to follow that. In fact, some of you have a very clear idea of what God is calling you to do, and you won't pursue that vision. Some of you will be unwilling to commit to the calling Uh, the purpose that God has on your life, and to pay that huge price. Some of you are going to forego marriage counseling, and you're going to get a divorce. Some of you will stay at that job that is sucking the life out of you and you know is unhealthy for you. Some of you will come to church week in and week out without ever really getting involved in the mission, without ever really making a significant sacrifice, without ever making yourself vulnerable to others or to God. Some of you will survive this series on Nehemiah. Some of you are barely hanging on, like, move on, pastor. Some of you will survive this series on Nehemiah and leave completely unchanged or deterred from your current life path. And some of you will stay in the palace being cupbearer to the king and let the mess out there be someone else's problem. But some of you will make the leap. Some of you will pull the cord. And those of you who do will change the world one life at a time. I am no Nehemiah. The sacrifices that I have had to make in my life are small potatoes compared to what he had to go through. But you know what? God doesn't ask us to climb the highest elevation. He doesn't ask us to take the weakest bungee cord in the pile. He doesn't require that of all the bungee jumpers in the world, we be the bravest and the craziest and the most gung-ho. Absolutely not. All he requires is that we be willing to jump. So the question today is, are you willing to jump? In chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, Nehemiah said, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If you take that leap, you pull that cord and you follow God's vision for your life, you will face opposition you will face criticism. You will face distractions. You will have to make sacrifices. There is no, you might have to. No, you will. But 
you will find no greater joy and contentment than being in the middle of God's will for your life. The reality is we face opposition, criticism, distractions, and have to make sacrifices even if we don't follow God's will. So we might as well take the leap and live out our God-given purpose anyway, right? Well, this morning I handed out those slips of paper, and I want you to take those out. I'm going to give you a moment, and I want you to complete the statement on the paper. Those of you who have a blank paper, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. This is what the other ones looked like. The God-given vision or purpose for my life is. Maybe it's a marriage issue. You need to work on your marriage. Maybe it's a parenting issue or a career issue or a finance issue. Maybe it's an area of ministry, something God's calling you to do. Maybe a focus uh, or a, a group of people that God has called you to minister to. What is that vision that God has given you for your life? It may be about you and your own life personally, or it may be about helping an outside group or um, organization. I encourage you to write that on the slip of paper. Now, maybe you're not 100% sure. Maybe that vision isn't 2020 in your life right now, right? Maybe you need some glasses still, and it's still not in focus. Even if you have an inclination, like uh, homeless people are on my heart, so I'm just going to write that down. I don't know what the vision is clearly, but God has put homeless people on my heart. Write that down. Maybe you have no vision. You are blind to what God is calling you to do. You have no idea. Write that down and say, I have no idea what God is calling me to do, but I'm willing to pull the cord when he reveals it to me. Okay? So I'm going to give you some time to write. And then once you, once you fill those out, I'm going to ask you to bring them up and put them in the prayer box. And I want you to drop it in there because I, like Nehemiah, believe in the power of prayer. And I would love for you to please put your name on it because I am committing to once a week praying for every single person by name for their calling, for their vision, for their purpose. So I'm going to block out Wednesday mornings and I am going to pray for you by name. So please put your name on the paper, put whatever it is, the, the, the passion that God has put on your heart. And I commit to praying for you and that vision. Okay? Yeah, hey, if you guys want to pray for me in one way, the enemy attacks me and my health. My back is always going out. I have arthritis in my neck. I'm, I get migraines. Uh, I get, my immune system is weak. I have stomach issues. So pray for my health. Uh, just pray for my, And I can work through 90% of it. But it's that 10% that I need prayer. That I don't, I don't want to miss work. I don't want to. But praise God, there's only one time where I had to miss church for being sick in 25 years. So, yeah. Other than having surgery, of course. Yeah. We're not going to trade in for new mom. No, no. If I break down, you won't trade me in. You'll just no. repair me. Slap some duct, duct tape on me and call it good. That was like when your guitar broke. Yeah, when my guitar broke. Yeah. Yeah. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. And be good.